You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1336 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Wednesday, October the 26th, in the aftermath of the Hawks going up to Detroit and picking up their first road win of the season, a final score of 118 to 113. And today's podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. And I should also tell you at the top of the podcast, we are definitely encouraging you to make us your first listen each and every day and check us out across podcast platforms by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and also on the video side over on YouTube. YouTube. And yeah, today's show, we'll break down the game and all of what transpired for the Hawks. It was not always pretty. It was not an A-plus performance from Atlanta, but sometimes in the NBA, you have to win when you're not playing your absolute best. And the Hawks went out on the road and did that in this game, the first of two in Detroit. They will have a rematch on Friday in the same venue against the same opponent. But yeah, certainly not a perfect game, but we'll have uh, all of what transpired. And again, it's a win. And uh, that's kind of all the Hawks wanted to get to on the road, especially on the road. Nothing is assured in the NBA. And the Hawks certainly uh, made that point in earnest this evening, but they still emerged victorious, which was nice to see. Uh, as far as the pregame context of this one, the Hawks were favored, as you might expect, on the road. And listen, there were some nice performances. I thought defensively, both John Collins and Capella were excellent in this game. Trey Young had his season high, which we'll come back to. They had some nice balance offensively at times. And generally, the highs were pretty high for Atlanta in this game. The lows were pretty low as well. Um, some sketchy offense. First half defense was definitely a problem, but overall, certainly a performance that, that they'll be able to live with. And they McMillan seemed pretty okay with how they how they performed. Used the word solid several times in his postgame address, and uh, that's kind of where we are at this point. But again, you know, coming in, they're facing a Pistons team on a back-to-back, on the second night of a back-to-back, actually. So the Pistons got in from Washington, D.C., where they played the Wizards on Tuesday at like 4 in the morning. That's a pretty big advantage. Yes, the Hawks were on the road, but they had not played since early on Sunday, actually, at 5 o'clock start against the Hornets on Sunday. They had some motivation after the loss on Sunday as well, and uh, the Pistons were maybe potentially should be dragging with their late arrival to Detroit. But uh, for a large swath of this game, Pistons had a lot of energy, which was uh, not necessarily shocking for a young team, but still notable. Um, and by the way, the Pistons came in at 1-3, and three, but also had the worst net rating in the league. Coming into the night, they have like a minus 12, almost 12 and a half net rating. That's pretty ugly stuff. They have a lot of talent on this roster. Had a lot of my kid Cunningham and Jalen Duran, et cetera. But Jaden Ivey missed this game. He was ruled out before tip-off with an illness. Uh, they also are still without Marvin Bagley and Alec Burks, some two of their rotational veterans. The Pistons are not loaded necessarily, um, which is always keep worth keeping in mind as, as far as context is concerned. On the Hawks side, Bogdanovich remains out for Atlanta. No surprise there. He did make the road trip. There were photos of him making the rounds before the Hawks actually even appeared today. He was on the bench and was around. Lauren Williams of the AJC reported from Detroit that he was doing some conditioning stuff during the portion of the shoot-around on Wednesday. Nate, though, did say on Tuesday before they left town that he's not doing anything live still, so he's not terribly close, but it is encouraging that he would be on the road trip. Not that he's necessarily going to play on the road trip. I would keep that in mind, too. In fact, if I had to guess, I'd probably say he won't play. But the fact that he's at least well enough to make those uh, those travel considerations and be around the team is probably a positive indicator on some level. And then briefly, earlier in the day, on I guess in, into Tuesday and then into Wednesday, Justin Holiday was listed as questionable for Atlanta with a non-COVID illness. He ended up playing. He was upgraded to uh, available to play midday 
on Wednesday. I know there's people that, well, at least Hawks fans, were like kind of rooting almost for Justin not to play. I would encourage people not to like root for guys to miss games necessarily. I think that I understand when to see AJ Griffin play. No, no question about that. And in fact, after this game was over, Nate McMillan uh, got asked about AJ by Lauren Williams and kind of gave a pretty standard like matchup based answer, talking about it. That's maybe why he wasn't playing. Said he was an option moving forward, but um, for the most part, I'm not going to do the AJ Griffin thing every single night. I made a lot of uh, points about that in the last two days on the podcast, both in my solo show after the game on Sunday and also with Tower Jones on the podcast that dropped Monday evening into Tuesday. Um, I would have at least tried AJ Griffin at some point, but I'm also not going to like rooting against guys playing. I think, you know, generally speaking, Justin Holiday being available is a good thing for the Hawks. I, I, he's not a spectacular player, but I think that uh, keep that in, all in mind and like, don't be like outwardly rooting for players to miss games. Uh, I understand why I see Griffin though, because I think we all do at this stage. Anyway, the Hawks were seven and a half point favorites in this game on the road. According to our friends at Ben Online, they did not cover that game, that number. They, in fact, they were not necessarily covering for large swaths of this game. and ended up not doing that at the end, but they got the win and we'll dive into what transpired right now. So early in the game, the Hawks were flying high on offense. In fact, they were unstoppable in the early going. They went right at Bogdanovich um, for the Pistons. By the way, yes, they have a Bogdanovich as well, Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, he actually has lost more than a step defensively since his prime, and that was one of the reasons why I was skeptical. People kind of asked like, if the Hawks would be interested in him when he was still in Utah. That was one of the reasons I, that I might have thought not, because defensively he was uh, really shaky in this game, but offensively he was on fire for Detroit in this one. Regardless, the Hawks scored on their first nine possessions of this game. They made, they made their first five shots. All really good looks. They got to the line three times, made all three. They finally missed a couple shots in the seventh possession of the game. It got three off rebounds on that possession. It was just a free offense in the early going. A free point and technical foul when Bogdanovich was called for one. Uh, Trey was in total command early on, getting to his spots without really much resistance at all from the Pistons. Capella had a couple of huge screens. Collins was active. Hunter was active, going right at Bogdanovich one-on-one. It was definitely a, a very encouraging offensive start for Atlanta. And the Hawks led this game by double digits multiple times in the first quarter before things kind of uh, slowed down from there. They, in fact, did not have an empty possession without a point in t- for like six minutes to start the game. Kind of crazy. Um, and even after that, they had back-to-back threes. Hunter did. After that, actually came to an end. So um, pretty uh, encouraging stuff at the outset. Rotationally, no surprises, basically, the entire game. We're getting into the more nuance of the second half. We talked about Capella and the Kongwu, how those guys sort of staggered in the second half. But it was Justin Holiday and a Kongwu first. And then it was Aaron Holiday and Jalen Johnson. It was a typical nine-man group. That's what Amy McMillan's been sharing the last couple of days. Like, that's his, that's his core nine right now with Bogey out. And uh, the one thing that, that they sort of did change in the first half and then change again in the second half was that in the last few games, they've been going to a Kongwu earlier in the first quarter and then having him play a short stint and then having Capella come back in with Trey in the first half, they didn't do that in the second half. They did that kind of paired that against Jalen Duran, but so that's maybe their one point of um, flexibility rotationally right now. It's kind of whether they do that actually or not at this stage, but, I thought it was basically pretty normal stuff rotationally. The first big run, though, for the Pistons came late in the first quarter, a 15-4 to run to cut the lead from the Hawks down to one. Most of that came when the bench started to come in, and the bench really struggled in the first quarter. I know Nate was pretty um, pretty praising of them in the second half. That's notable. I think they were better in the second half, but the first half it was pretty rough when the Stars left, left the floor, especially the first time through. Uh, Trey did cool off as well. He actually airballed a jump shot, missed another one, missed a layup in transition that he that he almost never misses. A um, couple of weird whistles in this game. I'll say this now in an effort to not say it again later. This is a pretty poorly officiated game, I thought. Ben Taylor screw, not my favorite necessarily uh, calling this game. I think Hawks fans were rightly upset about a few calls. It wasn't only the Hawks. I think the Pistons got a few that were not great for them as well. 
it was a poorly officiated game. That's frustrating to watch, certainly, but I at least want to say that out loud because I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't do a lot of ref talk, generally speaking, on the podcast, but it was pretty rough, I thought, in this one. Anyway, the Hawks were up by four at the end of the first quarter. They had a 146 offensive rating in the first quarter of this basketball game. That speaks for itself. Um, they had a 57, 57% from the floor in the first quarter. Uh, they were 88 from the free throw line with no turnovers. Trey had 16 points. Um, he was flying high. Hunter had four uh, had a four for four for 10 points in the first quarter. He cooled off from there, but it was a good start for him. Defensively, though, it was pretty rough. A 133 defensive rating against a pretty bad Pistons offense. Detroit shot the ball well the entire game from three, but uh, they were not turning the ball over early either, and that was uh, not necessarily the best indication of what was to come. Uh, second quarter was not the best for Atlanta, let's just say. In fact, the Hawks lost both middle quarters in this one, not like necessarily uh, in huge fashion, but the Murray plus bench unit started the second quarter. That, that unit's been pretty bad by the numbers all season long so far. Obviously, it's only four games, but it was continuing in this spot. There was the same spacing and secondary creation issues that we talked about a lot on the podcast with Tower Jones on Tuesday. If you missed that one, I recommend listening to that one. Tower's always a, a fun conversation with me uh, on the podcast. I know a lot of people love when he comes on the show, but that was a good conversation, I thought, about a lot of different things on the podcast. But um, Murray did have one like beautiful pull-up mid-ranger off the glass over the top of Jalen Duran. That was nice to see, but and uh, it was kind of funny because it was kind of a slog. Detroit's second unit has kind of a similar challenge to the Hawks' second unit, and they don't have a lot of spacing, a lot of shooting on that second unit. At least the Hawks have Murray. The Pistons do not have anyone like Murray to engineer their offense when Cade leaves the floor. But the Hawks were still minus two in the non-Trey minutes uh, in, the, in the first half anyway. Okongu played a long time. As I mentioned before, he and, he and Capella did not stagger the way they usually have been, and he put about 11 and a half minutes straight. I don't know if he got tired. I thought he I thought he had some issues with Jalen Duran in the first half. He got better as the stint went on. Um, he also did make another one of those jump shots from about 14 feet on the right elbow, which is nice to see. But he was not necessarily great in this one, I didn't think. He did, he did improve as the game went along. There was a beautiful Trey Young, John Collins lob in which Collins had to almost double pump to catch it and finish it, hang in the air and make a uh, make, make a big play there. But Detroit had their first lead momentarily after that was with a 10-4 with with run. Kate Cunningham was giving the Hawks a lot of problems in the first half of this game, getting to his right hand comfortably using his size advantage, um, kind of just bullying DeAndre Hunter in some respects, which is not what you want because Hunter is probably bigger than Cade. If anything, they're, if anything, they're the same size. Um, Hunter's definitely taller than Kate Cunningham is. So that was not great. I didn't think Hunter on ball was very good in this game against Cade. But um, yeah, they kind of like him get very comfortable in the first half. It was better in the second half, but he was he was getting some practice jump shots basically into uh, like the 18-foot range and just making a bunch of those in the first half. Um, point of that defense was not great, generally speaking. I thought Aaron Holiday ratcheted it up. We'll get to that in the second, in the second half of this game. But generally speaking, the point of attack stuff was not the best from Atlanta. They had a terrible possession late in the first half, but Murray built it out with a deep contested three that was pretty lucky to go in. But then after Kate had jump shot at the buzzer, the Hawks were only up by one at the halftime break. Um, you know, I thought the Hawks were pretty well prepared to attack Detroit switching in this game. They play a lot of switching schemes. They play a lot of uh, quick guys. You know, both their centers, Duran and Isaiah Stewart, can move on the perimeter. Um, but the Hawks did a pretty good job game plan wise, I thought, of executing against that offensively. They were really good with stars on the floor. That's for sure in the first half. They only took 10 threes in the entire half. One of those was actually a heave. So really only nine threes in the whole half. That's not very many. Trey had 23, though, and uh, they actually scored their season high in a half, 62 points in the first half of this game against the Pistons. Defensively, though, it was pretty rough. As I mentioned before, Kate Cunningham got whatever he wanted to get in that first half and uh, we'll kind of leave it there as a, as a point of reference. But uh, overall, 
not the greatest first half performance, and the third quarter was pretty rough in itself as well, but we'll come back to that in a second. We'll have full coverage of the second half as far as the game flow, my takeaways from tonight's game, as well as the individual player analysis, player by player, how they all fared in this one, and look ahead briefly to the rest of the week. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn, and these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why you check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team. They do it faster, and they do it for free. I've had to hire a few times in the last couple of years, and LinkedIn has proven to be an awesome resource. It's incredibly easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs, and they have high-quality candidates that you need to locate and finally make your possible and best possible hire. Then once you're set up, add a job and your purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word they're actually hiring. And LinkedIn Jobs also has simple tools like screen questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience that you quickly hire and prioritize if you want to interview them and then eventually add them to your team. You want to finish the year strong and finding the right team member is a key piece of doing just that. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires against leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find quality candidates that you want to talk to and they help you to do it faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn dot com slash locked on mba that is linkedin.com slash locked on mba to post your job for free terms and conditions apply all right and the third quarter was pretty rough for most of it now late in the third it got better but it was pretty sluggish on both sides actually at the outset of the third quarter both teams failing to score in bunches at the outset of the third a came in earlier than usual and i kind of said this in the moment on twitter and other places I was wondering aloud whether they would put Capella back in quickly to kind of stagger those guys again as a reference before the break and kind of have him against Jalen Duran because Duran was really out physicaling and out just outsizing and out just toolsing Akangwu in that first half. That was what the Hawks ended up doing. They also had liked to pair Capella and Trey together, which again worked in this one. Um, that happened about about seven minutes into the game. They brought Capella back into the game as soon as, as but literally as soon as Duran checked in. Like Duran went to the, went to the table and Nate turned and shoved Capella and into the game at the same time. So that was a adjustment that I agreed with and kind of saw coming a mile away. And uh, spoiler alert, Capella was awesome in the second half of this game. Um, Hunter got his fourth foul with like five and a half minutes to go in the third, had to come out. He didn't play a ton the rest of the way because of foul trouble, ended up fouling out anyway at the end of the game. But the offense was really, really bad for large portions of the third quarter. In fact, they had nine points in more than seven minutes at the outside of the second half. They were four of 13 from the floor and four turnovers. They only had one free throw attempt that they actually had, they actually missed. They didn't score for almost four full minutes at one point, and the Pistons took an eight-point lead. And there was some panic that was happening on Twitter that was seeing in real time. It was 79-71. There was one nice pick and roll from Murray to Okongwu after, out of a timeout that was a badly needed bucket from the Hawks. But when Capella came back in, things kind of ratcheted up. I'm not saying that was the only reason why, but both times that Capella came into the game, uh, once in the third quarter and then once again in the fourth, the Hawks immediately got a lot better. Um, it, I'm not, this is not me picking on Okongwu, but it was just kind of the case. is very obvious on the scoreboard as well. But the Hawks went on a 13-3 to run, um, basically aided as soon as Capella came back in the game. He had a big dunk on the pass by Trey, another one where they had, had to foul him to stop an easy bucket, and the Capella had a huge block on Kate Cunningham. Uh, also, as part of that 13-3 run, Jalen Johnson had a great possession, actually went one-on-one -on -one in the post for an easy bucket using his size. That's what you want to see from Jalen Johnson, who's a different player. He's not, not this pure spot-up guy, but that was a nice, like, mature, under-control finish from Johnson. I also thought Aaron Holiday was very good in the second half of this game. You know, I've said before, I think he is the guy that I would circle to maybe have uh, um, AJ Griffin's minutes be in front of. But in this game, they needed Aaron Holiday. He was actually quite good and was one of the re reasons the second half Hawks won this game. Um, he seemed to at least 
kind of bother Cade Cunningham at the point of attack. He's obviously a lot smaller than Hunter, but he was at least kind of just up in Cade Cunningham, making him uncomfortable. And offensively, he had a nice couple of nice plays in the second half. But the Hawks got it back to tie to a tie game at the end of the third after being down by eight. That was actually a nice closing kick to uh, even things out there. Um, neither team, neither team was able to keep their offensive pace in the first half. But uh, Trey had 31 through three quarters. He was uh, really good before he left the game at the end of the third quarter. Um, as usual, it was it was Murray plus bench to open the fourth. And this time around, it went better, um, I think, largely because of Aaron Holiday. Uh, Aaron set up a Jalen Johnson corner three. That was a great pass over the top of the defense and uh, really cup and also made one of his own. A bunch of winning plays for him on, on both ends of the floor. Aaron Holiday, it was good to see from him. Um, back and forth, though, for most of the first half of the fourth quarter, like the first six minutes or so, it was like Hawks up two, Hawks down two, Hawks up one, Hawks down one, back and forth, back and forth. I thought Murray struggled kind of mightily with his handle in the fourth quarter. Weirdly speaking, a couple possessions where he just could not get a hold of the ball, kind of kicked it around a little bit, and then actually had a turnover that led directly to a Detroit dunk that was about six minutes to go as the starters came back into the game. Um, but again, as I mentioned a second ago, as soon as Capella came, came back in, the results were much better for Atlanta. He had a huge block that led to a Collins run out for a dunk, and then a 9-0 run, generally speaking, from the Hawks to go down from down one to up eight after Capella got a putback, et cetera. Um, and the Hawks never trailed again. Now, it was definitely not over at that point, but that was their biggest sort of extensive run in the fourth quarter, that 9-0. They gave up a three, though, to Bogdanovich, who seemed to make a big shot every time Detroit needed him to the entire time. But then even after that stoppage, Capella got two offensive rebounds, um, knocking, knocking the ball out to Hunter, who got fouled. He, he, didn't, he didn't only made one or two free throws, but that was actually a good possession to sort of extend the game a little bit. Again, Bogdanovich kept making big shots. The Hawks were only up by three again with about two minutes to go because they botched a switch between it looked like Collins and Murray on Bogdanovich for a three. And then Collins had a bad turnover, but in the play of the game, according to Nate McMillan, and I, I think I probably agree with this, Collins, after that turnover, up three, chases down Kate Cunningham from like 80 feet. Just full sprint. Collins is a great you know, end-to-end athlete. Vertical goes up, blocks it. That ends up with the Hawks scoring on the end of the floor with Murray kind of pushing off probably against Bogdanovich, not getting called. And it goes from what could have been a one-point game to a five-point game with a minute and a half to go. Huge play by Collins. And obviously it was his turnover that sort of out, that sort of set that off, but it was a great recovery, a good uh, sort of will-to-win kind of play from John Collins. And then there was a there was one more nightmare coming, though. Um, Hawks up five out of a timeout with 132 to go. What you can't do there is allow a four-point play, and they did. Hunter made a very poor play, actually, um, fouling Bogdanovich on three-point attempt. He made it. Um, it was a bad mistake. He also fouled out on the play. That made it even worse. He was the one guy, Bogdanovich was, the kind of only guy that the Hawks couldn't afford to lose in that spot, and they did it for the second time, like 90 seconds, just a rough one there. Um, but then Trey is a huge weapon, as I've said before in previous seasons, but in case you've been new listener to the podcast, it is a huge weapon to have your best player um, be A, an elite ball handler in Trey Young, and also B, be an elite free throw shooter. And the Hawks were able to lean on that down the stretch. Trey drew a foul with a minute 13 to go, got to the line, made both. Um, Collins got called for a foul that was pretty soft, I thought, against Sadiq Bay, but it was a ball line situation. Bay missed both free throws. That was a huge swing for Atlanta. And then after a, bro- a broken play, the Hawks scored again to go up five, and the Capella denies Cade at the rim to keep that margin at five. Uh, it was still not safe just yet because Bogdanovich had another three to get it to three. But again, they get a good setup out of a timeout, get the ball to Trey, um, up three. He makes both to go up by five, and that's your ball game. So um, it was tight down the stretch. The Hawks were leading after that 9-0 run. They led the rest of the way, but it was within three a couple different times with Detroit having the ball, and the Hawks just made uh, just, just enough plays down the stretch. Um, as far as takeaways are concerned from this game, um, I think offensively, it was not the best performance from Atlanta, nor was it the worst. I thought 
especially in the first quarter, the Hawks were really good. But if you were to take that out, which you can't do, but if you were to take that out, the Hawks were not great offensively the rest of the game. But they did shoot 50% from the floor and 8 of 22 from three. And that, that's, that, that's actually their best three-point percentage of the season, but it's a very, very small volume. I'm not going to do this every single podcast, but they took 22 threes and it took 42 shots from two-point range outside the paint. That's not a good split. Even for a Hawks team that's going to take more, more mid-rangers than most teams do because they have good shooters from there, you know, your Trey's, your Murray's, your Hunter's, et cetera. That was not the greatest split. They did make more, though, in this game. Um, 12 turnovers is totally fine. That's about um, you know top three or five in the league kind of number per game. Uh, only one for Trey Young. That's a huge thing for him. Um, they got a lot of offensive rebounds on the stretch, a 30% offensive rebound rate for the game. That's really encouraging. 56 points in the paint is a good number for Atlanta, and they had good balance with six guys in double figures. Trey was the obvious standout offensively as a scorer, but they had good balance otherwise. They didn't have the same transition frequency that they had in the first three games. You know, Famously, as we discussed yesterday on the show with Tyler, they've gotten out on the fast break quite a bit more than usual in these first three games. Um, less so in this one, but they were much better in the half court. Their, point for, their efficiency in the half court was pretty good in this game, like 85th percentile, uh, more than a point per, per possession in the half court. You're never going to be as good in the half court as you are in transition. That's obviously just the way basketball goes. But they were much better in that setting in this game, which, which ended up being very helpful along the way. Um, defensively, the numbers looked okay by the end. A 113 defensive rating is still pretty bad, but it was in the 130s in the first half at times. So they were much better in the second half. In fact, Detroit shot 42% from the floor after halftime, and they only had five offensive rebounds in the second half on 26 misses, which is about a 20 or you know, 19% or so offensive rebound rate. That's really good. So the Hawks did a good job in the glass in the second half. They did a much better job contesting shots. Other than losing Bogdanovich, they did a better job on Kate Cunningham after halftime. They did force 14 turnovers. That's not a huge number, but that's totally fine for this Atlanta team. And uh, the only thing that the Hawks did not do very well was hold up on three-point shooting. But credit to Detroit, they got to make the shots. But I think basically first half, pretty poor defensively second half much much better much more like it was the first two games when the hawks were playing against bad teams yes in houston and orlando but the numbers were pretty good and i think for the season even if you uh include again that rough game on sunday the hawks as i speak right now looking this up live on the podcast have a 109 defensive rating for the season uh i'll tell you this right now if the hawks could just dial up a 109 for the season and just say we'll take it they should do that um, it's not like the greatest number in the world. That's like more of a middle of the pack number, like a you know top 12, 15-ish number, but that'd be just fine for this team given their offensive talent. So anyway, that's all I have for the actual takeaways in terms of the team stuff in this game. We'll have more individual breakdowns and more in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Football season continues. Bet Online is the number one source for all the pro college football betting needs that you might have this season. Find all the latest developments, the game matchups, the news, and the podcast at Bet Online, including all the stuff that you need. The weekend slate that's upcoming, and it certainly will be busy in football over the Thursday to Sunday run, as it always is, uh, really anytime in October and November. And Bet Online also has all the wagering information they're looking for. That includes live betting and esports and live scores. And Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to consume all the sports you have interest in. The NBA stuff is certainly at the forefront for us on this podcast. There's plenty to still wager on each and every day at Bet Online. That includes game odds and props. And then futures are still available on which teams are going to win the East and the West and the NBA title and awards. All that fun stuff is available at Bet Online. And beyond the NBA, Bet Online has odds and lines on college sports and baseball, MMA, boxing, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, soccer, entertainment bets, and much more. Head to Bet Online right now on your mobile device, your computer to learn more, learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world. But online, where the game starts. Okay, we'll go to the bench first, as we often do on this podcast. Again, only nine guys played for the Hawks in this one. Notably, AJ Griffin did not. 
Um, I would have probably tried him, but they didn't. And that we'll leave it there for now. The guys who did play, Jalen Johnson was the clear number nine of nine. He played 12 minutes. I thought he was better in this game than he had been. Um, defensively, still some rough moments, a little bit tentative at times, but did have five points, three rebounds in 12 minutes, two of four from the floor, and one of two from three. Uh, I thought he was just fine. He wasn't bad, nor was he great. Uh, Justin Holiday, pretty quiet game. Did have three assists. Did have two, two points, three rebounds, three assists, one of three from the floor. Uh, he took one shaky shot, but I think actually, if anything, he probably could take more shots in this one. He is still, I would imagine, under the weather a little bit. If he was questionable on Tuesday, I'm probably, he probably was not 100% uh, healthy to be playing this game, but he was out there and was generally just fine. Aaron Holiday, like I said before, was really good in the second half. First half, not as much. But 10 points, two rebounds, two assists, had a block, four away from the floor, made both of his threes. That was huge for the Hawks. A couple of great passes, some good defense against Kid Cunningham and Corey Joseph and others at the point of attack, Killian Hayes, et cetera. I thought Aaron was a big plus off the bench, and he was the only guy on the bench that had a plus in the net and the plus minus. He was actually plus three in his 18 minutes of play. Um, and then a Kongwu, uh, a weird game for a Kongwu. Now, on the bright side, he was five of five from the floor for 10 points. And three rebounds. He had a steal. He had a block. A couple, a couple of nice highlight plays in 21 minutes. It wasn't like he was bad. Now, I do think that he played much better against Stewart than against Duran, which does, kind of makes sense. You know, Okongwu, size-wise, there's this whole conversation that I'm, I'm already kind of tired of right now about Okongwu and his physical size. And um, I'll just say this now for people that like, – I keep hearing this, that the Hawks are small in the front court. That's really not the case at all. Okongwu is small for a center. Yes, that is true. But if you go position by position, Hunter is – at least average, if not bigger than average at the three. Collins and Johnson is a pretty darn big and physical power forward tandem in the modern NBA where a lot of teams are playing small ball. Um, and then Capella isn't a seven, isn't seven two, but he's definitely center size and physical wise. So it's really just a Kongwu that's smaller. Anyway, he struggled against, he struggled against Duran. He was better against Stewart. I don't think he was bad in this game, but he was minus 19. And I think there's a little bit of noise there always. At the same time, I think Capella, like, it was kind of night and day for me. It's not me picking on a Kongu who I really like. But um, when it, when Capella was out there, it was a different game for the Hawks in a positive direction in this particular outcome. So I'm not worried about a Kongu. I think he's been fine. He was he was still efficient around the rim. The finishing is definitely, uh, a, you know, player, for play, player, player versus player, Kongu versus Capella. Okongwu was a different stratosphere as a finisher than Capella is. No question about that. But the rest of the game, I thought Capella was better in this game. So anyway, that's not the pile on Okongwu. But the minus 19, not necessarily indicative of just him being bad or anything like that. Um, of the starters, we'll actually start with Capella, kind of bring the synergy here. Six points, 10 rebounds, two assists, one steal, and four blocks for Capella in 26 minutes. Now, I can already see this coming. If you did not watch this game, and only see the box score, you will see Capella with six points, 10 rebounds, three great from the floor. And you probably think, hey, it was just okay. Capella was, I, I think, the biggest reason why they won this game in the second half. He was fantastic after halftime. Now, uh, the plus 22, just like the Ekongwu was minus 19, there's a little bit of noise in there. But both times he came back in the game in the second half, the Hawks made huge runs. He was all over the place defensively in the second half of this game. And the four blocks is obviously part of that. But rebound-wise, he was all over the place, like keeping the ball alive and taps and uh, boxing out and sealing guys. 26 minutes is fine. I think him and Kong was playing like that is totally, totally okay with me. 26-7 minutes for Capella is fine. Um, but I thought he was really good in the second half. First half, a little bit sluggish. Um, and I think that it's fair to say like he's not quite the same athlete that he used to be in Houston. That's notable, I think, is accurate at this point. But I thought he was really good in the second half. And I would encourage you, if you did not watch the game, you don't have to take my, my word for it. If you just put the, put the tape on from when he, from when he came back in the game in the third quarter the rest of the way, and uh, you'll see a guy who made a big difference in this one. Speaking of big differences, John Collins. 
John Collins has been really good this year. Now, on Sunday, he couldn't make a shot. He was 3 of 12 from the floor against the Hornets. Nothing was going in for Collins. I thought he was still really good in that game uh, as far as like his actual four games. He didn't make shots. The first two games, he was awesome. This game, awesome again. 19 points, 11 rebounds, four blocks, had a steal. Uh, did a four-turn number, so it's probably more than you want from him, but not a 14 from the floor. I thought defensively, he's been really good so far. I know, I know I've been begging the drum for probably two, three years now that Collins is an underrated defender. It's been very obvious to me he's been pretty good defensively in all four games. Um, he was really good. Made a bunch of big plays down the stretch, um, including, of course, the headline play that I mentioned before, but I Millen called the player of the game with the chase down block. That was an awesome play. Um, Hunter cooled off after the hot start. I think he had 10 points in the, yeah, 10 points in the first quarter, um, 17 for the game, fouled out in 27 minutes. But he was efficient from the floor, 7 of 10 from the floor. As I discussed with Howard Jones a little bit on Tuesday, um, I think Hunter has been a nice, like, B-plus so far. He's not been incredible. That was still the case here. I think defensively he had some real trouble with Kay Cunningham. That was a little bit alarming because, again, like, he shouldn't be getting bullied physically, which he kind of was by Kay in the first half. But I think he was okay the rest of the way and then good and efficient offensively, so no real concerns there for me. Um, Jonte Murray struggled. This is his worst game as a Hawk. Now, <laughs> I kind of made fun of somebody for pointing this. Like, someone was like, well, he's got a rough season so far. I'm like, no, that's not true at all. Coming into the night, Murray was averaging like 20 points, eight rebounds, seven uh, or seven rebounds, eight assists, a league leading three and a half blocks, uh, sorry, three and a half steals per game. He was pretty efficient. So like, he's been good. Tonight he wasn't, like the, the handle was loose. In fact, I'm wondering if he had more than two turnovers in this game. I think maybe Collins, one of Collins got to Murray or something like that. It was a little bit weird. But even with all that, like he was 14 points on 18 shots. That's not what you want, especially when you include free throws. It was actually 14 points on 20 shooting possessions. And he was only uh, three of 12 on twos. Um, some loose handle stuff, but he did have eight assists, eight rebounds. And even when he's kind of pressing, he made some nice plays in the second half that were kind of key to the Hawks making um, the runs that they actually had to make. So he wasn't good by his standards at all in this one, but uh, he's allowed. I think he's been uh, just fine so far, <laughs> let's just say. Um, and then finally, Trey Young, 35 points, a season high for Trey, six assists. Um, not like an off the charts number there, but one turnover is really impressive for him. Plus 10. Um, he was only actually one of seven on threes. So he didn't really have his jump shot still. In fact, in the four games, I think Trey is like down like 20% from three. Like it's going to get better. I don't worry about his jump shot really at all. But he was eight of 14 on twos and 16 of 17 at the line. That's a huge weapon. It always has been for Trey, both foul drawing and then converting the foul shots at the line. He was a big reason why, but the Hawks were 20-25 from the free throw line this game. Another huge plus there. So um, I don't think Trey was like his absolute best. I think he had moments when he was in this game, especially in the first, you know, the first eight minutes or so was a master class from Trey Young. He was in total control. He wasn't quite as good after that, but still 35 points and, uh, you know, efficiently doing what he does basically in this one. And then uh, a huge sort of put away weapon at the end of the free throw line. So from here, the two teams have a rematch. There's these new kind of baseball style series that the NBA has included the last couple of years. Uh, in part, just to kind of limit travel. Mocks have a couple of more of these in 2023. Like there's one against Washington or one against maybe Charlotte or something like that. Miami, one of those um, when you get into like February and March, but this is the one that's early on. They actually just stay in Detroit. They have a practice on Thursday, and they play again against the Pistons on Friday. That one's obviously more of a neutral. Coming into this game, the Hawks had a huge rest advantage. This time around, both teams on the same footing. Um, Detroit will be staying in their own beds, but the Hawks won't have to leave the hotel. They will be able to just kind of be there and be there for Friday night. So that would be an interesting uh, sort of test case. I would imagine if I had to guess right now, Jaden Ivey will play for the Pistons. If he was just out with an illness in this one, he could be back by Friday. We'll see on everybody else for the Hawks. But um, I would imagine the Hawks will be favored in the game. The Hawks were solidly favored in this one. They didn't cover, but they still are the better team. And even on the road, 
the baseline projection should be a Hawks win. Now I'm, I'm always one to say that nothing is assured in the NBA because nothing is assured in the NBA. But if you look, if you look beyond this, the Hawks have four more games on this road trip and this game against, against Detroit, especially with no travel in between is by far the easiest one of those four games. They play the Pistons on Friday. Then they have to go to Milwaukee on the back-to-back on Saturday. That's a tough ask. The Bucs are really good. Then they have to go to Toronto on Halloween, and then they go to New York to play the Knicks. Now, the Knicks are not great necessarily in my mind, but they are better than the Pistons, and that'll be the last game of a five-game road trip. Always a tough ask. So um, getting this one on Friday would be very helpful for Atlanta, not only to go to 4-1, and one, but also just because I don't think you can expect – obviously, they could win the rest of these games. You can't expect to run the table on those last three games. So getting another one here would be nice to add to the ledger and uh, sort of extend this positive start. The Hawks are 3-1 and one right now. Um, are they playing fantastic basketball? No. But that's maybe the uh, the underlying bright spot of having this soft schedule early in the season is that they couldn't they didn't, sorry they didn't have to play their absolute best to get three to get three wins in four games so far, and uh, they'll have to be better than this moving forward. Like if they play like they did today against Milwaukee, they're going to lose. I'll say that right now. If they play if they play even like they, like they did against Houston or Orlando, they probably lose that game. So they're going to they're gonna have to be better on as a whole and maybe individually in certain spots. But I think generally speaking, three and one, you got to take that and run with it even after Sunday's frustrating performance, and uh, we'll see how they fare on Friday. As for the podcast, I'm not 100% sure, but there may not be a show between now and Friday because there's the game on Saturday as well and a back-to-back, but we've had plenty of content in this space moving, uh, moving back the last, the last couple of weeks. This is like the eighth show in nine days, something like that. Um, so if you missed anything from earlier in the week, those podcasts are still available to you, including Tower Jones' visit on Tuesday. I'll have uh, full coverage of both games on Friday and Saturday nights in back-to-back fashion, and we'll be diving in as we always do for next week and beyond. Please do me a favor, if you've not done this already, but please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, people all sometimes ask me uh, how to support the show. I don't, have, I don't have a Patreon or anything like that, so if you really want to support the podcast, the best thing to do is to subscribe and download the podcast across multiple platforms. That could be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Stitcher, uh, Podbean, any of those places that you like to find podcasts. Then on video, we are on YouTube for the majority of episodes as well. So subscribe there. Click this. Click the follow buttons. Uh, leave five star ratings. Share the podcast with friends. All that fun stuff. Also follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And uh, after this uh, victory from the Hawks on this Wednesday, we'll be back at the very latest after the game on Friday night. Stay tuned. We'll see you next time.